Django. Hey, Django. Yeah. I was thinking of taking that Dan Panosian commission that you got for me. Yeah. And then trying to like maybe possibly use that as the podcast image. I would ask Dan Panosian if you can. Okay. Just tweet I, at him or something. Welcome to, yeah, we seem to be, we seem to be recording. All right, everybody, welcome to Batman in Quarantine, episode six. This is the big one. This is the big one because Big Daddy DJ ANGO's in the home. I'm Jeff, as always, here. Django, thanks for joining me. It's too bad episode six doesn't line up with issue 666. I did assume that we would need to get you on for Batman 666 just because it's a number that is so entertainingly dear to your heart. <laughs> I am the devil. The you beast. are the I devil. Am the beast. Um, now, Django, listen, everyone who listens to our normal podcast, the Perfectly Acceptable Podcast, knows who you are. But in case anyone is listening to this who doesn't listen to our other joint, the Perfectly Acceptable Podcast, <laughs> um, who are you? Aside oh, from man. one of my best friends and business partner, the guy who runs a comic shop with me, Django Boren. That's pretty much the extent of me. I am, <laughs> I am Jeff's hetero life mate, all of a sudden thrust into this comic book world. The internet's Django Boren. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Facebook's Django Boren. <laughs> That's me. Um, Django, thanks so much for joining me on this one. Uh, you know, it, it was only everybody else I, I sort of casually asked to be on it. You, I just had the full-on expectation that you would. <laughs> there was a much less courteous, uh, much less courteous invitation extended your way. But um, nonetheless, I wouldn't ever want to do a thing like this without you. So thank you. Well, I I heard that you're doing it all by yourself sometimes, which makes me think uh, you do like doing it without me. I super don't. As someone who did that about an hour and a half ago, it stinks. I just don't want to ask that many people to sort of undergo this ridiculous labor that I am. Uh, it's just so much work to ask your friends to do without any reward. So, um, But I was very excited for you to be on this issue specifically because uh, many reasons. One, I've never read this issue. That Two, blows me away. Two, it is a Joker-centric episode, and for better or worse, I kind of consider you a Joker scholar in the same way that I consider Justin a Chuck Dixon scholar. Wow. That's uh, <laughs> a lot to unpack. I think it's accurate, though. <laughs> um, but before we get into this fully prose piece with just um, art that's hard to describe by John Van Fleet with a script by Grant Morrison. Can you tell us and the listeners a little bit about your history with Grant Morrison and the Grant Morrison Batman run? Oh man, that is, uh, you trapped me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't love Grant Morrison by default. Yeah. Like some people do. Um, I do, I do enjoy his stuff probably about half the time. 
And the other half of the time, I, I think that it's uh, a little bit too inside baseball. Um, sometimes it feels like he's showing off how many books he's read in sort of an Alan Moore way. Um, I didn't know and, that inside baseball was another term for masturbatory, but um, yeah, later today I'm going to be taking care of some inside baseball stuff. <laughs> Um, that said, I, I do enjoy his Batman. I like his bat, this Batman run, but I like the individual issues and the individual story arcs more than I like the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, the whole thing felt a little bit masturbatory when you look at it as, as one big thing to me. Um, but individual stories I've enjoyed. Um, and I don't think that I even really realized that it was a big deal for a writer to do a story this long when it was coming out. In fact, I don't think I even read the whole thing until probably about six years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and I sat down and read it from start to finish, including the, the return of Bruce Wayne and some of the specials that came out. I was really excited to have you on here because Justin and Roman and I are very actively huge Grant Morrison, just sort of fanboys or apologists, and we'll kind of read anything that uh, he's written. But I didn't want it to just be a bunch of people celebrating Grant Morrison because you are a very well-read comic person and aren't. You've been outed as not um, just a giant waving the Grant Morrison flag guy. So not not automatically, no. Excited to have you on here for that. Yeah, I remember I think one of the first conversations that I ever had with you, like one of the first conversations of you and I sitting in a room alone, justifying our company with one another by a conversation <laughs> that was rooted in Grant Morrison. And it was very like me in the throes of the peak of my Grant, Grant Morrison love. And I think you probably at the trough of your like Grant yeah. Morrison cynicism and, uh, and I'm we surprised we're it. still friends. <laughs> Not only that, but we have a comic <laughs> shop baby. <laughs> um, I think, you know, uh, one of my first conversations with Chris Clow at the store was me shitting all over Superman by Grant Morrison, which is like his two favorite things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's true. You've never been someone to shy away from the dangerous conversations, Django, yeah. and we love you for it. <laughs> um, the hot takes... Uh, okay, so Django, this issue is it's insane. Um, this is an entirely prose piece. Uh, I think what's interesting to mention is this issue came out February 14th of 2007, which if we were to crunch the numbers is six months after the previous issue that he had written, 658. Uh, which is our yesterday's episode on the podcast feed. Six months later, there were only four issues in that six months. Yeah, so you were the one who pointed out to me that, was it Ostrander? Yeah, John had, Ostrander did four issues in between. Did four issues, and that is apparently mm -hmm. because Grant Morrison was still in the throes of writing 52 at this time. Okay. And so the weekly labor of getting out, you know, a portion of all of those 52 issues had eaten into his time. So they, he, he had a, a different writer come in and do that during that time. Although this issue is like the densest, most script heavy issue of a Batman comic I've ever read. I'm, well, this, I did not realize what I was asking of you when I signed you up for this issue, but thank you for making It's just a prose book. Yeah with enormous pages at that it's not like a prose book in a normal sized book it's like a prose book with one and a half size pages it is yeah it it took me how long did it take you to read this issue i'm a slow reader it took me about 45 minutes 
Yeah. Um, which I assume is how long it takes you to read any comic. It took me over an hour to get through this for sure. I had to, yeah. It was a two-day two day read. And I didn't originally read this because, if you can believe it, when I started reading the Grant Morrison Batman run, it was I, I didn't know Morrison and I didn't love Morrison. I was reading it because I wanted to read the story of Batman dying, which I had heard was happening. So this right. was all the stuff you had to read up and up until that point. So when I got to this issue, I was like, no, uh, no, thank you. I will, I will move on to the next one that seems to impact uh, Batman dying. However, having now read this issue, the repercussions of this issue and the content of it have echoes throughout the entire rest of the run. I'm surprised that I never caved and read it. Yeah. And I don't, I don't remember what came before this specifically. I know Damien has been introduced, mm-hmm. right. As, as somebody, cause his first appearance I think is, is the first Grant Morrison issue. It is. Yeah. Arc. There's a, it's a four issue arc and Damien shows up is a shithead. They go on an adventure and then a boat man blows bats. up. Yeah. Then a boat yeah. blows up with Talia and Damien on it. And that's where we leave the previous issue before this one is Batman okay. grimacing, holding the hood of Damien. God. And then you had four issues of John Ostrander written Batman stuff over six months. Can you imagine over that six wait? months? And then you have this, which that's a bullshit follow-up to a boat exploding. Okay, so what we have to <laughs> what we have to say is, as I was reading this, Django, this is at a time where people were like mail order subscribing to comics at a higher rate than they are now. Like you could pay for a year long subscription of Batman comics; they would mail it to your house. Right. Given that logic, this was somebody's first Batman mail order subscription comic. Like some twelve year old was like, "Sweet, I finally got Batman comics coming in the mail." They went out and got this from their mailbox. Can you imagine the disappointment? I can't imagine the disappointment for a lot of the Grant Morrison issues and the structure of the story that that would cause. And that's that's maybe part of why I don't just straight up love this run is mm-hmm. that the structure feels a little bit abusive to the reader. It's yeah. hard to even find a, a comprehensive list of what you need to read to get through his storyline. It's, it's um, funny. I've mentioned, like, I've been trying to find reviews from the time that these came out um, to see how the internet was, was viewing it at the time. But if you Google Grant Morrison Batman, you just get, like, page after page of Google results, results of people writing out the reading order of this run. Yeah. Like, that is the, the, the enduring legacy of this. It's a great story, but above all else, you need somebody to spell out how to read it in the reading order for because you. Because it's like, it's Batman, it's parts of Final Crisis, it's parts of 52, it's the return of Bruce Wayne, it's the return of Batman special plus... It's two different re- continuity reboots of the entire yeah. DC universe. like Batman it, and Robin, Batman Incorporated. Yeah. Batman Incorporated again. Batman Incorporated Leviathan special. <laughs> it's, 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 it's wild. It's wild. And it, it is, um, yeah, a huge editorial production nightmare in that regard. Yeah, and sure. I guess I wouldn't put that on Grant Morrison. It's just, uh, it, it's probably mostly... Um, uh, the publisher fucks him with things. Yeah, but still absolutely bizarre. Um, but yeah, so this is an incredibly dense issue and just the broad overview of it is that it it is tracking through prose the transformation that Joker undergoes 
between the first issue of this, which shows purple suit, orange tie, white makeup Joker getting shot in the head by a fake Batman. Right. To ultimately the Marilyn Manson Batman of Batman R.I.P. The like white medical outfit, giant bullet hole scar on his forehead, white eyed Marilyn Manson looking picture. Um, And what I think is really interesting about this issue is that Graham Morrison has mentioned that like, it's just a thing that nobody read. Like no one wanted to read this prose issue, this Batman comic. It's amazing though. It's, it is an incredible Joker piece. Yeah. And uh, apparently in Heath Ledger's diary, um, from the time he was filming Joker or, you know, his Joker role, uh, he, he was filled with quotes from this book or like the list huh. of things in here that like make Joker laugh. Like he had written in his journal. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, like, it is one of the three main Joker pieces that was an influence on Heath Ledger's, uh, dark Knight Joker. That's super cool. Yeah. But the, the main conceit of this is that there is a transformation with which Joker goes through. Right. And that is new. And I think that that is, that's a really interesting thing because it even feeds into like current and nowadays Jeff Johns, we're waiting, we're several months away from getting that Jeff Johns, uh, the three jokers. jokers. Yeah. And Scott Snyder looped back on this idea too. Yeah. That, that, that through, for some reason, Joker goes through some sort of metamorphosis or reincarnation process, which is how it's Morrison's justification for in the same way that Batman, they've taken these 75 years of storytelling and he was, you know, an innocent person. There was colorful theatrics. And then there was the eighties where it was dark and brooding. And then there's like globe trotting stuff like, um, Morrison has, has proffered that the Joker also goes through a metamorphosis to define these different periods of his life mm-hmm. because he really, over these 75 years, has been very different characters. And so much of the thesis statement of Morrison's run is how do we make all of these years of comic books fit into the life of a person? Right. And, and do you think that each of those eras of the Joker and Batman are reflecting um, the culture at the time, right? For sure. I mean, at like... You know, um, in the 60s, that sort of the Adam West Batman is really the definitive Batman of that time. Right. So it's very colorful and sort of psycho pop and and not serious. And, and there's a lighthearted tone to it. So but do you think we, that we're headed towards a point where the pop culture of Batman will or the, the, the story of Batman will define the pop culture? To some extent. So like where, where that paradigm will flip and instead of the hippies making stories be about hippies, the stories about the meta nature of Batman and the Joker will turn pop culture into something a little more meta. Well, I, I would say in general, pop culture has moved towards a more meta type of, of awareness. Mm-hmm. You know, like even a large amount of the fiction that comes out now has a meta drive, which I really like in that regard. I, all, I, I hope so, but I, I, my concern is I wonder if Batman holds the power over pop culture that that thinking would... Not would like apply. Iron Man does. Yeah, you know, you put... You put uh, you put that guy, Robert Downey Jr., in anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's, gosh. So, do you? How do you feel about that idea of metamorphosis and Joker? Like, does does that fit into your canon? Uh, are your the way that you think about the Joker? Do you think about it in a logical way, way where he could have been 
this one person throughout all of his life? Or do you feel like you really would need these moments where his personality is shifted? I, I think, I think you do need some sort of reason for the Joker to be so different all the time. Um, because the Joker that we deal with now is definitely not the same guy that killed Robin. Um, and so in order to reconcile that, I really like the idea that the Joker's brain can basically dissolve into unrecognizable mush and then come out a new, completely bonkers version of himself. Um, it's almost like, uh, you know, they, they did some studies with moths where they, they took caterpillars and gave them a smell and a shock. And then those caterpillars would start anticipating the shock when they smelled the smell. And then they, they, after the caterpillar went into its chrysalis and came back out, it could still freak out when it had that smell. It thought it was going to get shocked. Interesting. But when they take the chrysalis apart and look inside of it, there is almost nothing that they can define as a hard drive or anything that would carry that consciousness through as just total goo. <laughs> and I love the idea of the Joker kind of turning into goo and then being reborn again as as something still evil and inherently him, but a, a slightly different version of him. And it is interesting because in the little snippets of 52 that came out this, that are supposed to precede this run, mm-hmm. it has Batman going to Nanda Parbat and uh, engaging in the Torgal ritual. And ultimately what that has done is it, it purified him, it removed him of his fears, but it was an editorial push to re- remove some of the darkness from Batman stories to try and get us okay. out of that sort of era of the late 80s to the early 2000s. And where... then they fucked up and let Grant Morrison write this comic. <laughs> but at the same time, like it is both dark, but very lighthearted and globe trotting and has a... like I would say that the lighthearted, cheesy aspects of the 70s and 80s Batman are still present in this type of things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I meant this specific issue. Oh, this specific issue, for sure. But, like, <laughs> you know, ultimately where we end in this story with you know, Batman Incorporated, it's a very, like, emphasis on the fun action-adventure portion of Batman and not mm-hmm. so much the, like, dark, cynical madness that Alan Moore and Frank Miller sort of uh, put forth. Well, and he gave him a son to teach and and kind of have a different relationship with than he's had with anybody else yeah how did you feel about the format of this issue it's like 10 chapters and there's a couple of them like the first chapter is just a bunch of clowns at a funeral for a different clown turns out they've all been henchmen of the joker at some point i love that the the dead clown's name is bozo the clown yeah it's like bozo Mm -hmm. i I didn't catch that until this morning when i was thinking about this it's like oh bozo bozo yeah yeah uh and what so this issue is famous for introducing the the sort of red and black duality that is a is a big through line for this whole morrison storyline particularly with the joker which is just even like it's a, a visual representation of life and death or the the joke and the punchline or batman and joker like or a checkerboard or yeah harley he, quinn yeah yeah and it, it, what's interesting is that harley quinn has that same red and black thing on it and he mentions that in here but um the thing that that in this issue becomes clear is that um rose petals of black and white when they're combined re- like produce this compound that kills people right and that's something that ends up being a big part later in the rest in peace storyline the r.i.p story and I didn't know why those flowers were killing people at that point, which is brought up, you know, in this oh, issue. Right. I, I thought that the structure of this was 
pretty good actually like i if i bought this comic i would feel betrayed that it's not a comic mm-hmm. um but sitting down and reading it ready to read a lot of words and and uh you know engage in a prose story i really enjoyed it i thought that the chapters were pretty solid um i i liked the the point of view or the perspective so we get like uh the clown's internal feelings and thoughts as he dies from the joker compound we get uh the the joker's little people henchmen like their inside their brains which are very simple mm-hmm. um and and immediately when I saw them, I recognized them from the Killing Joke. And and Gordon kind of mentions that that they're yeah. the hench, hench folk from that. Yeah, um, and I like that that he took them from being just just these kind of throwaway characters in that, and and gave two of them a relationship, and you know tie, tied them together, and then the next page, one of them's murdered, like already dead. I really like the way that they wrote the introduction of that character is sort of like, you know, in, in Joker's maniacal hellish carnival ringleader phase, you know, yeah. like he was hiring little people and, and that I just, I just liked sort of even them referring to these phases of Joker's personality and life as, as sort of phases that they can talk about. Yeah. And, and the fight with Harley, I thought was really well done. Like I could see that as if it were a comic book, which, which thinking about it now is kind of surprising. Yeah. The, the, I preferred the second half of this. Like it, it really yeah. hit a stride. I was, it, it did take an amount of like, okay, I'm going to be getting into prose. And I, you know, I, I think the first third of this overall Morrison run is not as strong as the last two thirds. And it's sort of taken mm-hmm. an amount of getting in the flow of things. And while I still think it's great, I think this issue uh, exemplified that the most, which is like, t- I think to be reading a Morrison story, you do kind of have to abandon some preconceived notions of what it is that you're going to be reading. Yeah, you know, to kind of go yeah. along for a ride. What did you think of the art? Oh, bud. Um, so it's it's by John Van Fleet. He's he did um, Batman the Chalice, the Ankh, and Cast Shadows. Okay. Uh, he did some Typhoid for Marvel, and he did X Files for Topps Comics. Okay. And if I remember right, most of those are more pencil work. This is super digital, and um not it doesn't look very organic to me it looks like video cut video game cut scenes a little bit yeah it looks like do you ever use the program bryce 3d or like i've I've heard of it yeah Yeah. just like 3d modeling software um it looks like that to me it's it's very of a time Mm -hmm. you know and i think it's a dangerous thing like pencils can always kind of be removed from time as a reflection of somebody drawing something but when you're using technology from a specific time because technology evolves uh you're relying on a thing that will be dating itself right so i think it has a shortcoming in that regard i also i don't i didn't hate it but as like the joker is going through this metamorphosis and and becoming what he's going to become um i think it's a bummer that that really powerful visual reveal was used here and it wasn't the like tony daniels stuff from r.i.p right because there's like the script of this has one particular part where it is just like it is a shot from r.i.p that i can picture of like a full page shot of the joker and Mm -hmm. it's a shame that um we didn't get to have that as the the big reveal and instead it's it's this but that being said um I, i i guess it served the story okay 
Yeah, the only one the, there there's like one panel that I think I would have sent back to the artist. It's right as as Batman's dragging the Joker back to Arkham on the last page. Um the the Joker's body language is wrong. It doesn't look like Batman's actually yeah. trying to lift him. Yeah. It's it's weird. Other than that, I think most of the art's really good other than being a little bit distractingly digital in yeah. some parts. Um it you know it almost it at parts of it made me think of Arkham Asylum, which I don't think is a an accident. Yeah, like the game. No, the the comic. Like oh. it's it's painterly, it's um it's like oh, it it would be multimedia if it wasn't all digital. Yeah, and and Arkham Asylum um it almost doesn't it, it almost feels like each page like you're saying is multimedia instead of being something designed to f- bring you like flow you through it in a narrative fashion it's more like right. large visual emotional pieces that yeah the, yeah i think that's a good that's a good uh, bit of insight um so I, I do think everyone should like read this issue because there's more there's five times as much in it as a regular issue of, of comics but uh ultimately the metamorphosis happens and what is the resolution of this because for as much as in it it feels a little bit like it ended kind of abruptly to me I mean, I think Batman just brings the Joker back back to the cell, right? But do you think through his metamorphosis, it seems like the Joker has outgrown Harley as a character, and Harley really isn't in this run for the rest of it, as far as I remember it. Like, okay. the Joker is a character that doesn't have Harley in it, so it seems like maybe in the same way that Batman went through a metamorphosis at the beginning of this run in that Togor mm-hmm. ritual, you know, Morrison started his runoff by the Joker having a metamorphosis as well. And in doing so, it sort of elevated him to a character who um, isn't as reliant, reliant on a henchman or even like in this, this kind of vague relationship that Harley has always had with him. Yeah, I, I hadn't really thought of that. I, I like that quite a bit. It's always interesting to me to see when a writer picks up a story that they know is going to be long and they have to set the stage how they want it. So he's like, mm-hmm. nah, I don't want to have Harley Quinn in my story. Right. But first, I have to take her off the board. And right. I don't, you know, we don't want Batman to be dark. So first, we have to make him. Right. Um, and, and I think that this, this book does a pretty good job of that because, I don't know, I, I have problems with the Harley Quinn and, and Joker relationship. Um, and I, I could see in here where they he could have written it so that she stays away from the joker instead of the joker um staying away from her that's true uh it ends with her questioning like don't you love me no more yeah right after she shot him and and right after he uh revealed that he wasn't going to kill batman at midnight he was going to kill her at midnight yeah so, like if if she wasn't as messed up as she is she she that that would have been a good opportunity for her to write him off yeah. and they have recently in the comics yeah you know, he finally betrayed her one too many times or whatever and she's on her own which is which is good because that's a it's a weird weird relationship yeah it's it's also that interesting question of just like okay like i guess on the one hand the the image that you suggested as being kind of one that you would send back i totally agree because batman's even kind of walking off like kind of huffy like Ugh. Like the yeah. posing is weird. Yeah. But at the same time, that ridiculous posing of it also kind of just exemplifies the the ridiculous nature of like, well, you were almost going to kill this person. And I'm stopping you again. And yet I'm just dragging you back to your cell because that's right. what I always do. <laughs> yeah. 
um i also really like the the line where he's sort of talking um about the the dualistic relationship between he and batman and batman basically just said he shakes his head and says i don't know what you're talking about right and and then joker is like that's exactly the point like you are the straight man every com- comedic duel there's the you know the, the straight man and the funny person like it I, I like the depths with which morrison goes to in this to exemplify how dualistic their relationship is like yeah. how baked and grown together the the psychology of each one is like they're intertwined and totally lean on the other person yeah and and even through their transformations they still are kind of a codependent couple do you think that with this three joker story that's coming out that i'm very excited for this idea that there has been like three different jokers if they're going to stick with that as they're being like different jokers, it sort of undoes what this issue puts forward, which is the idea that he goes through a psychological transformation. I don't think so. I think, I think one of them could be doing this psychological transformation or all of them could be because there's more than three jokers in the DC history. Yeah. And that my thinking is that they'll, that will be the ultimate thing is that there are in the three joker stories. It won't be that there are three different people to be that there are three sort of, you know, three or four or more phases of the Joker that have existed, but it's not actually that they're entirely different physical people. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what they do. I mean, they might bring in three multiversal Jokers too. That's true. I hope not. Yeah. I hope it's more of a psychology thing. Um, Well, all right, Django, we've been here. We've been here for a while moving through this issue. Is there any like final thoughts that you've got about it? No. No, just that I'm I'm glad to have sat down and read it again because I think I've only read this book one other time, um, and it's got me kind of curious to read some more of the the series. But um, I just read I think the all the whole Batman run and and through Final Crisis a, a couple of years ago. Yeah, and so I'm I'm tempted to just pick up at uh, Batman and Robin number one, which I think is where I left off. Like I got through the return of Bruce Wayne and all, all that stuff. Do that. And that's about, Oh, that's about three and a half weeks from where we're at right now. So in the meantime, mm-hmm. I'll probably tap you for some <clears throat> issues uh, in the interim. That first Chris Burnham issue is so yeah. good. Yeah. No, it's Frank quietly, isn't it? Yes, Frank Riley did the Batman and Robin issue number one. And Chris Burnham started in Batman um, Incorporated, Incorporated, which was also awesome. Yeah, volume eight, issue number one, I think was Burnham's first issue. Yeah. Or volume one, issue number eight. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And flipping through this run, like we just did some Andy Kubert stuff. There's one more arc of the Andy Kubert run, but then you get like J.H. William III and then Tony Daniels. And there's just some absolutely gorgeous stuff coming up in this. So that shot of Batman coming up out of the helicopter crash from Tony Daniel is so good. Yeah. It's one of the absolute best ones. So, well, somewhere in the RIP portion, we'll get you back because um, that stuff is a, is a psychological, right. And, and I actually would love to have all four of us to get together at some point here before too long, but yeah, just um, give me my homework. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for reading what is, was a way longer issue than I meant. You made a banana reference, so I thought it was in this one because it's the first Joker-centric issue. But when you track down which issue has that <laughs> banana reference, we'll make sure and get you on for it because there's no one right. who knows uh, banana theory more than Django Boren. You can hear me froth at the mouth about that one. Oh, God. <laughs> um, okay, buddy. Well, thanks so much. Everybody, you can listen to Django and I at weekly on the Perfectly Acceptable podcast. Uh, he's, he and I are the, uh, the generally every week co-hosts of that. So. Did you just call me a weakling? Um, buddy, 
don't you don't get me angry at you don't you get me angry <laughs> weakling um well uh i'm jeff Django. thanks so much for joining us i'm Django. jeff thanks for letting me join us and uh we'll see everybody next uh day tomorrow's day for episode Tomorrow. 664 <laughs> all right Django. thanks i'm sure i'll talk to you within the hour as per our life rituals oh i got a list for you okay good oh i've got a list for your list <laughs> all right buddy see you bud bye